if they can find any other easier way to accomplish the same task, they will. So your product really and your feature really has to stand out and really compete with that next best alternative. So. This is SaaS Scale, the podcast where data meets action with host Arman Shragi. Each week, Armin will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curvey.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SAS Scaled. I'm pleased to have Maria Thomas here with me, CPO at Buffer. So Maria, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Hello, Arman. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a real pleasure. My name is Maria and I run product design, parts of marketing and engineering at Buffer, a SaaS company, of course, but uh, we are building a a social media and organic marketing platform for small businesses. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Fantastic. And what is the problem that Buffer tries to solve? Also, what is the solution to that? How did you guys end up doing that? Maybe a little bit of background that this is the idea come from, and this is how we ended up doing really Buffer, and this is the way we are solving this problem that we solve. Yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah, let me start with a bit of a history of Buffer. It is uh, pretty well known, but I'll definitely describe it. So Buffer was founded about 11 years ago by Joel Gascombe, and uh, it really grew on the heels of Twitter's success. As Twitter was growing through a massive organic start of that social media platform. So Joel back then had an insight, by the way, he was inspired by Lean Startup, and uh, just the general growth of uh, social media at the time. So he really stumbled on a problem that he had himself, which was the challenge of efficiently posting to Twitter, sharing his thoughts, but also being able to schedule his posts in advance. So that was the original kernel of idea. And from there, Buffer grew. From there, Joel hired a team and started adding support of Facebook and later Instagram. And now Buffer has a pretty full suite of supporting various social media networks where our customers are able to proactively schedule their social media posts, but also edit them, collaborate uh, with their team. And we continue to build on this idea of how can we save our users time and how can we maximize their opportunity in organic marketing channels, for example, with organic social. Now, of course, we have greater ambitions beyond social media. So we're starting to expand into other marketing channels, which is the exciting parts of our roadmap, of course. Fantastic. You mentioned that you are 100% product-led growth or PLG. At the same time, I know that even beyond being the you know head of product and being the 
kind of chief product officer, you also helping on the marketing side. That explains probably why, because you guys are 100% PLG. Probably that would be something audience would love to learn more about it. Can you explain a little bit about, you know, how product and marketing can get so close, especially when there's no sales team, and especially when, you know, you can be 100% PLG. Before we talk about PLG, let me tell you a little bit about our target market and our target customer. So Buffer is firmly focusing on very small businesses, small businesses and ambitious individuals. So, and it is a typical path for SaaS B2B products who would start with typically a freemium strategy, continue serving small businesses, but inevitably start looking up towards mid-market and then eventually enterprise. So Buffer has gone through its own journey, but ultimately firmly landed that we are going to focus and support ambitious individuals, very small businesses. We are very committed to our freemium model. And given that, the sales model, how would I put it? I guess to, to say it uh, uh, directly, it doesn't always apply in that sense, right? So product-led growth feels like a really appropriate model for us. And that's honestly how Buffer grew from its origins, from the very beginning, through word of mouth, through viral growth loops. When somebody posted on Twitter, you can actually see that this particular post was published using the Buffer platform. So the next person reading that tweet post would see, oh, Buffer, let me click on that. Let me find out more about this. Oh, interesting. You know, what a great platform that can save me time. So again, PLG has been a thing and a model for Buffer before it was coined as a framework and an approach in SaaS. So product always led the roadmap, customer feedback always led the roadmap, and Buffer has never, ever, ever had a sales team. So yeah, that's really, it's in our DNA. It makes sense for us, and it's something that we feel very strongly and passionate about, that product really leads the way. And marketing, to your point, collaborates really, really closely with the product organization, perhaps because we don't have a sales team. So especially let me now talk a little bit about the pros and cons of having a sales team and not having a sales team from a product development standpoint, right? Because I've been lucky to have experiences in both. I worked for Intuit, for instance, which is a very small business-oriented company, again, PLG model. I've also worked in SaaS startups that had uh, sales teams and enterprise focus and mid-market focus. And the nice thing about sales team is that sales uh, team is excellent at bringing forward not only what customers need, but also what customers are willing to buy. <laughs> That's a very, very important insight. And I value that very, very much. So in the absence of a sales team, what happens is that product and marketing team really rely on each other for that customer insight. And of course, we rely on our advocacy team. They're also bringing forward customer feedback and desired features. So, but yes, we have, uh, we organize our marketing team into two groups. One focusing primarily on content and content marketing is a huge use acquisition machine for Buffer. That's, and we'll talk a little bit about the Buffer blog and how much it's done for us over time. But then in addition to that, we have product marketers and growth marketers who are thinking all day long, all the time about what's the next opportunity, what's the customer insight, and what we should be building and developing next. And one of the topics that it's very important to you when I ask you about, you know, 
what is something that you would be passionate about to speak with, to speak about with your colleagues and counterparts in other SaaS companies was the fact that transparency is something that plays a big role in product roadmap, understanding the decisions, what is the rationale behind them, everything. So that part you thought it can really have a very positive impact overall on the business as well as the product and what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I'll answer that question in two parts. For Buffer, we are a value-driven organization, and that's not just an internal term. That's actually how we go to market as well. If you go to buffer.com, you will see values-driven company right in our main hero copy on the website. So values are very important to us. And transparency is uh, one of the most cherished values across the board. So let me talk about two ways that we, that, you know, we have transparency and what that means to us. So number one, transparency with our customers and the market. You may be surprised, uh, but uh, some of our followers uh, know that very well, is that we share truly nearly everything on our website about our company. You can see our revenue. You can see our, the number of our monthly active users. You can see all of our salaries and you can see all of our financials. So all of that is completely transparent. And then of course, importantly for our customers, you can see our product roadmap. So again, we don't have a sales team to rely upon to tell our customers about what's coming or start potentially proactively testing with customers like, hey, what do you think about this idea or the product team is working on X, Y, and Z. And so start getting some of that early market signal. So again, without the sales team, we can rely on that transparency to really start getting an early signal from customers. Are they voting these features up? Are they getting excited about, do, are we just getting, are we getting any traction on uh, this roadmap and how are they reacting to that overall? So, so again, a big part of our transparency is all the external transparency, right? And, uh, if you go to our blog, you can read uh, very revealing articles and blog posts by our product managers, but our marketers about not only our successes, but all the mistakes that we've made along the way. So I think hopefully those of you who are listening, hopefully you'll find that as a, as a great resource for you for perhaps you know, what to do, what not to do, and the do's and don'ts of PLG. So that's the external transparency. Now about transparency within the company and certainly within what we call EPD, Engineering Product and Design Organization, that's pretty essential for us. And the reason is because we are, we have, we've always been 100% remote company. And I don't know, Arman, if you know another company that's been remote in SaaS from 2011, I don't think I know a lot of examples of companies that were born remote and stayed remote and, uh, have really effectively written a book on how to do it efficiently. So I've joined remote world only uh, with the pandemic, unfortunately, in the spring of 2020. I was always a, a person who went to the office and it was quite a initial shock for me to start working remote from home. But then I joined Buffer and I really learned from them what it's like to be an efficient, remote, globally distributed organization. And what I found is that transparency, it's almost not a choice. You have to be transparent in a globally distributed organization in order to be efficient because naturally teams have questions about 
decisions that are being made and, you know, how come, you know, marketing is thinking about an opportunity this way or advocates are raising different issues and maybe executive team has a different point of view. Now, if we're all transparent and everyone has all of their cards on the table, then to be honest, a lot of that alignment is taken care of by default. So that's just the nature of how we collaborate. Yeah, I would say all of these, what I hear from different aspects are in harmony, right? So it's being transparent as a culture, being totally remote, even PLG, the go-to-market strategy that you guys have, you know, all of them are in harmony and rhyme with each other very well, right? So you have the, it obviously the system organically grow and grow and got bigger and, and it was just the harmony was there. So all of these components, each one is helping the other one to be in balance and just, you know, maybe, maybe a company wants to do partially one of them, but maybe the other part doesn't let them to do because, you know, for example, COVID and pandemic happened and then all of a sudden you had to go and just be remote, but maybe the DNA of the company did not support it. Or maybe your culture was not that transparent and it couldn't support it to be done perfectly well. But in your case, of course, in Buffer, it, it seems to be everything organically got there and there was no kind of shock and everything worked out pretty well. One question I have on the part that you said, we are a value-driven company. And I wanted to know, if you were not a value-driven company, what would you have missed? In other words, what does it mean to someone hearing you from outside who may not have that experience and say, okay, I wanted to better understand what is the benefit and what I'm missing if I'm not a value-driven company and what exactly you mean by that? So expanding a little bit upon that, I appreciate it. Working for a value, values-driven organization for the last almost two years, it has really crystallized for me over time why it makes sense, what are the benefits, and I'm here to tell you <laughs> all the things I've learned about that. So let's start with, I'll answer your biggest question, I think, which is the, the highest level benefit of having values overall. You can think about it uh, as simply as having a clear strategy or having a clear framework, for example, how you go to market or how you develop products or how you build an organization. Values provide that extra level of clarity and almost simplicity that supports your strategy. So, and of course, everything has to be tied to a company mission and vision. So I'll start even there for just a minute and then I promise I'll, I'll, I'll go into specific benefits of values. So Buffer's mission is uh, to help the world have more small businesses who do well. So that's our overall mission statement. And with that, everything we do, all the features we think about, go to market, the, lo the level of support we provide, we go back to that mission statement and think about, does that support where we're going? But the next level down is our internal values that help us guide all the day-to-day -day decisions. So the clarity, for instance, how does this help specifically? I'll start by my own journey of joining Buffer. At the time that I joined Buffer, I was deeply attracted to values that they put forward, the values of transparency, um, the value that they put on causes that they support, 
for taking strong stances on, for example, we take strong stances on climate justice and then human rights justice. Um, so all of these are important to me. And when I was considering what company I'd like to join, that's what attracted me and uh, brought me into Buffer. So we can think about it that way, right? Like quite, like on the most fundamental level, when you have your values published and clearly articulated, you can attract the right people who you feel will really, for, for whom those values will really resonate. And it may uh, also, you know, have people who may not want to join our company and that's okay. And that's great, right? And they can find a company that is much more appropriate for them. So that's the level of clarity that I think values help uh, get established. Another great example is when we face a situation for which we do not have a playbook. For example, when many SaaS companies, especially working in marketing overall, you know, had to face uh, challenges with the spread of misinformation. Now, I've been in companies where making decisions around, well, what do we do about that? You know, how do we handle spread of misinformation? Do we block that on our platform? Do we take a strong stance? Do we tell customers, no, it's not okay to spread misinformation through our platform? That could be a very long and challenging debate in a different company from Buffer. But at Buffer, it was a fairly straightforward discussion because, again, we have our values and our stances and our causes. And because of that, it was really easy for us to come to a, to a common decision that no, we will not support that on our platform and we will take a strong stance, change out, you know, do whatever we need to do in the product and experience to minimize that as much as possible. Now that may deter some users from our platform and that's great, but we also know and hope that we'll bring customers to our platform as well. No, that makes perfect sense. Now, this is a company that is very much, of course, marketing driven has been not just helping on the marketing field, but also the company itself internally and everything around it. And uh, very much integrated into social media, but not just from functionality point of view, but again, living and coming from that world and helping it. What do you see the future will be? Do you see the future will be in the next 10 years the same as it is today? The Web3 is coming. Is going to help companies to be able to monetize. Also, monetization is going to be on the content more democratized. It's going to be the same way that, you know, maybe social media help more creators and democratizing the information so people coming and be able to, you know, expand it or explode it, the number of publishers and sharing content and ideas. How do you see that that, you know, might play in the next 10 years? Because essentially Buffer was in the midst of that Web2 and then created, you know, that concept and grow. And now we are at the phase that we are expanding that and getting a bigger Web2, but also adding another layer on top of that. How would you see we are going to, you know, see the future? If you had to guess what would have been the changes that you see coming in the future? So back to the you know, the buffer history, it started out at the time when few social networks really dominated the space and offered this incredible opportunity to people, marketers, activists, everyone, this new platform, which was Twitter, Facebook, and then eventually Instagram, Pinterest, et cetera, where 
someone could really start marketing themselves and grow their organic audience. But in the last four or five years, we've seen some pretty dramatic shifts even in that space. Because what we're seeing is that the audience is becoming ever more so fragmented. New and new channels and social networks are coming on the scene. We all know the story of TikTok and how it's effectively taken away tremendous market share from the more established networks. So so if you are a small business or an ambitious individual trying to grow your organic reach or quite simply to grow your business, you now have to be in so many different places to reach that fragmented audience. At the core of Buffer Benefit and where we see we can help, that aspect of helping someone grow organically in the right place at the right time with just the right content and the right content would be engaging, exciting, right? And really stand out. That's what we're going to continue to be all about. But of course, we're going to be continuing to develop with times and where the the major organic marketing platforms are heading, as well as starting to introduce our own solutions that can help small businesses grow. As I already mentioned, the social media landscape is really shifting. So that's going to continue to be our priority, but we can help small businesses with reaching audience through every possible channel. Now, another really important shift that happened in the last even two to three years, and you mentioned the word creators, that's a very, very hot topic, of course, and in all of marketing right now. And that's interesting, right? There's the word creators. What does that actually mean? I think from technology standpoint, what that means is that the form factor of communication has changed. So it used to be short form text primarily. It is now anything but. It is now animated. It is videos. It is exciting. It, is, it has to stand out. It has music. It has so much more than a boring Twitter post. So that's what I think creators is all about. And from technology standpoint, we as the more or less technology solution want to support all these new different form factors and really help someone with very limited design, video editing skills, animation skills, you know, take an idea, a kernel of idea. I have a thought. I want to share it with the world and I want to find my audience. We want to help them dynamically distribute that in exactly the right form with all the right engagement aspects and, and attributes of that content to all the right platforms. That's how we see the market shifting in the direction of, again, videos, animation, standing out in the huge crowd of, uh, of competitors, and our platform will continue supporting that. You mentioned Web3. We have a lot of team members at Buffer who are very excited about Web3 and the future that it can bring. Again, going back to our values and uh, the mission, the values aspect of Web3 definitely resonates with Buffer stands, which is how can we help everyone on the planet and how can we break through perhaps some of the walled gardens that have been established by the big tech? All of these aspects definitely resonate for us. I personally don't yet see the uh, specific use case or the technology roadmap of how Buffer will leverage Web3 or be part of it or help its future. But uh, I assure that, that we have a lot of excited team members of the team. And, and if that's the case, that means that it's coming. So because we have a lot of grassroots efforts in, in the company where engineers and product people dream something up, bring it forward and 
what do you know, in a quarter or so, it may just may be on our roadmap. So the mega trend, of course, has always been on the technology front, you know, making everything, I would say, faster, better, easier, more affordable, more self-service, democratizing it. And based on what I hear from you, of course, Buffer has been part of that trend. As well, as you mentioned, you are making video editing easier. You are making the scheduling. You are making everything easier. So people can really go there and just do what they were supposed to do in shorter amount of time, doing it faster, doing it easier. And that's the kind of trend we see in the future, that it continues as far as we are, you know, we know uh, that's the kind of push behind the market. Everyone is asking for something that is easier, asking for something that is faster, quicker to do, and, and those kind of trends. And that's very much aligned with you know, what I hear from you as well. Now, going back to the product management part, that when you are thinking about product management, of course, some of the ideas are bigger ideas. Some of them are smaller. Sometimes you need to you know, make a decision if I should do this part versus the other part. And then you want to align them, as you mentioned, to your mission. And there is always a kind of, I would say, vision and mission and then aligning everything, align the same line. Sometimes when you are defining that vision, it might be something that you can go broader or you can go narrower. You can go something that it's kind of everything can somehow relate to that. It's too broad. And sometimes it's more very pragmatic, but it's not broad enough. So how would you see, I'm not sure it has ever been a challenge for Buffer. Maybe it has been pretty easy for Buffer to define that. But how do you see in other companies maybe you have worked with or in Buffer, what kind of challenge it is to define it at the right level, that you have a vision that is clear enough, but it's not too focused, it's not too narrow, but it's not too wide. Because when you may widen the idea, it can get very much somehow, sometimes meaningless, I would say. But you wanted to keep it meaningful, but not too narrow. So have you seen that kind of, how do you overcome that kind of challenge that many startups might have? What a great question, Arvan. I just want to say that's uh, that's definitely the, the art and science of, you know, for someone, you know, especially in my level, but really for any product manager and for any business person out there, right? Like, how do you start with, let's make a world a better place and, or let's be the next Google, not cast your net too wide, not, not get overwhelmed with uh, in the soup of discovery of, gosh, well, we could just, you know, we could go after developers and we can go after this market and we can just transform a marketing industry. A couple of things that come to mind that help narrow that scope, right? From that broad excitement that you mentioned, let's make a world a better place, right? The big mission. I think it's really important to two things. One is to always come back to, you know, the tried and true SWOT analysis. Your, your companies, not your engineering or product organization, but your company's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. That framework works every time to go back to, well, we could also be a platform, but what do we know about being a platform? Is that really in our DNA? And is that truly going to be our strength or is that maybe our opportunity? And that's how you start narrowing from 
I think through SWOT analysis is how you start narrowing from that, let's make the world a better place, product vision. When you start recognizing, well, but our business model is freemium PLG SaaS. Okay, so that starts narrowing the, can we actually go after developers? Do we have strong APIs today? Do we have any reasons to believe why an API strategy can really take us to the moon? Now, of course, this stop energy can also get in the way where you start saying no to almost anything and then there's nothing left to your vision. But I do think that using the tried and true SWOT analysis helps you narrow things down, you know, that initial cut, if you will, you know, to the bigger vision. And I think the next framework that is extremely helpful and gets, I think, right to the core of the question of what is innovation is when product managers, product people, product marketers, designers, engineers dream up an idea and then really have to force themselves a question, well, what's the next best alternative? And really go talk to the customers and understand, well, Users are surely or customers are doing something today. So what are they using? And is it truly a spreadsheet as we all tend to believe that everything's done in, the, in Excel on a spreadsheet or a piece of paper? Or you know, are we trying to move them from non-consumption to consumption, right? Like, which is where they're not doing it today. And then we actually trying to change behavior. So I think that discussion is extremely important. Actually, so I'll, I'll actually correct that. So I think deciding of, are you trying to be better than the next best alternative or are you trying to be better than non-consumption or someone not doing it, right? Robinhood is a classic example of a consumer app that took people from not being investors to being investors in the stock market. Absolutely genius. I, I'm really rooting for them. I know they're having a hard time right now, but at the core of it, they've done the nearly impossible. They've changed the behavior. So that's great. As a, and, that, and that's something that uh, product teams really have to reconcile for themselves. Are they capable of doing something like that? Can they really commit all of that time, passion, and energy to pursuing that path? And is there market insight that can support? So if you're not doing that, if you're not taking people from non-consumption, from turning people from non-investors to investors or something like that, or from not never designing anything to designing things, Canva comes to mind, then you have to think hard about what's really your next best alternative. And putting out a product that does something that's very similar to the next best alternative, it, it may not fail right away, but it will certainly not going to get a lot of traction. You really have to think about that unique differentiation and advantage that will have you really stand out. Now, all of this sounds like really big words, but when, when it comes down to is ultimately users vote with their feet or with their clicks, right? Like if, if they can find any other easier way to accomplish the same task, they will. So your product really and your feature really has to stand out and really compete with that next best alternative. So, so from your perspective, uh, at the end of the day, the question is, how really you are different and unique and that should drive essentially the way you define, right? So the, the, and if your, your vision does not include that, then it's hard to really differentiate yourself. And maybe if you don't have that, but, but that's a very good point that key differentiation needs to be main part of the kind of vision to really make a huge difference for the company. So that's a great point. I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you at the end, if there is any particular book 
that you liked it. It doesn't have to be a product or any particular blog that you may want to share with you, with, with the audience here that may impact uh, positively what they do. Yeah. So the book that I keep coming back to over and over again is Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, the founder of Andreessen Horowitz. It was written in 2014. Hard Things About Hard Things. Gosh, um, I really appreciate that book because in with absolutely incredible candor, Horowitz talks about the pitfalls of product management. He talks about the business in general. He doesn't really define it as product management, but he really talks about the challenges of leadership and what's it like to fight for market share, what's it like to be in the crowded space, what it's like to stand out. One of my favorite quotes from that book is, uh, there are no silver bullets. There are a lot of lead bullets. And that's a quote that my team knows very well, (laughs) because I have to remind them about that sometimes, that a lot of times product managers, you know, designers, marketers come to me with like, I have just a thing. I have a thing that will absolutely transform this company. And we should stop doing everything else. And we should do this one thing. So that's a silver bullet uh, mentality. And and they're not wrong. You know, that could be very much the absolutely the next you know, huge opportunity for our company. But that doesn't mean that we should stop doing everything else and also have a lot of lead bullets, if you will. That's an analogy, right? Like our marketing needs to be best in class. Our email marketing needs to be fantastic. Our support needs to be world class. Our onboarding experience needs to really resonate and go in sync and resonate with the rest of it, right? So, so that's me. You know, other product leaders may disagree, but uh, that's my belief. And I go back to that book a lot for, and the, the examples that we use, they really crystallize that notion that at the end of the day, it's not, at least it's not only about silver bullets. It has to be about a lot of lead bullets as well. Great point. And thank you very much for sharing it. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I enjoyed all the discussion and the great points you made. And again, thanks very much for joining the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Arman. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.